Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, right, it's Homo sapiens. You know the drill by now. It's all fun and games, until it's not. Uh, we're in the car today. We're back with Kate, who you might remember from last week. Hello, Kate. Hi, everyone. Kate's had COVID. How was it? Uh, not as bad as I thought it was going to be, thank goodness. We're... And I didn't make you sick extra, thank goodness. We were very pleased that you were all right. And amazing that I didn't get sick because we spend most of our time together. What did you watch on telly while you were ill? Oh my gosh, I watched crime shows. <gasps> Which ones? <laughs> True Crime UK. Shit, the bed, I've not even watched that. <laughs> and I'm UK. They're so good. The UK has got some of the best serial killers. So <laughs> you're right up there. Some of them are close family members. <laughs> Is anyone else out there obsessed with murder? Um, or true crime I I like a true crime podcast I have to say I do love a true I like the staircase as well it's the psychology for me um, yeah yeah so you know <laughs> sometimes it can get a bit dark but uh, I find it very interesting because you can relate yeah pretty much <laughs> um, well speaking of psychology Kate we have got a big old psychology episode today because we have got psychotherapist Owen O'Kane on. We're chatting with the best-selling author TED Talker Owen all about LGBTQ plus mental health and it's not just a chat it's it, we have put all your questions we asked you what you feel we're not talking about as a community and we're taking those questions to Owen. It's a brilliant chat very informative also hilarious because I offer advice and then Owen tells me why I'm so aggressively wrong. So thank God for Owen is all I'll say. Um, have you caught up with the last week's episode? It was Eurovision. Uh, it was all about the Euroball, which is Eurovision voguing extravaganza. Um, it's one of the many events happening in Liverpool in the lead up to Eurovision. Kate, are you a fan of Eurovision? Uh, it's very European. Can I put it like that? <laughs> very dare you. Everybody's got to love Eurovision. I mean, they gave us ever. Yes, I always forget that, which, as I know, is a gay crime. Um, do you know why Eurovision was invented? No. Why was it invented? Well, I only heard this from someone who was standing next to me. So it was... Or maybe I heard it on the telly. I don't know. Um, it was invented after the war to give Europeans all something to enjoy together because we, we'd all just been through the war together. Well, that's certainly one of the most joyful world events, I've got to say. So that makes sense. Absolutely. 
If you want to get in touch with us, tell us your thoughts, tell us your true crime addictions, hello at homosapienspodcast.com or on Instagram at homosapiens and tell us what you thought of episodes or news or updates on your news. Um, we should do a review of the week soon, by the way, because I noticed there was a very rude review on uh, Apple Podcasts, so we'll have fun reading that out. Um, before my chat with Owen, we've been finding how old school our listeners are. Oh, Kate, you can do this. So we've been playing Never Have I Ever, the retro edition. So give yourself one point for everything you've never done. These were hilarious. You all got in touch so much. You gave so many brilliant answers. So, Kate, have you ever used a rotary phone? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> used a floppy disk? Oh, yes. Typewriter? Uh, yes. Taken photos with a film camera? Oh my god, yes, I'm so old. Owned a dictionary? Still own a dictionary. Uh, owned an encyclopedia? Never have. Sent or received a fax? Yes, I have. Um, basically, you're answering yes to everything, as I did. We're officially old, Chris. But do you know what that means? What? We're a fine vintage. Aha, mature. And we've got, we've got things to teach people. God knows what they are. And all of you wrote all your things. Some of you only got two. So we've got some Gen Zs on here, clearly. Hi, everyone. Hi to the young. And hi to my compadres. Kate's yawning, which is always useful when you're presenting a show. It's always nice. Always nice when someone yawns. It's happened before. Don't worry. It's just my age. Uh, Yeah, exactly. We both just need our afternoon nap and a bowl of soup, really, don't we? Where's my blankie? Now there's a question. <laughs> while me and Kate go and have a little nap with a blanket over our knees. Not while you're driving, though. We can't do that while you're driving. No, I'm very professional. Um, let's go and have a really important discussion with Owen, answering all your questions that you asked, and I loved it. And I learnt loads. Every day's a school date, so here's our lovely chat with Owen. Okay. Your story is fascinating, and, and everyone's is very unique. I know that I feel like I was super lucky um, growing up LGBT that my family were cool with it. Um, My dad was a fashion photographer and I met people like Will Young, who I started this podcast with, who were extremely brave people who made me feel okay about myself. But even with all of that, I still have had so many big issues around shame, anxiety, and yeah. all of the details of LGBTness that you speak about in your work. Um, you know, I actually really fundamentally feel this. Like, it's not fair that LGBT people are not given the tools with which to understand the circumstances and the compost that creates yeah. the things that we all have in common. So, this episode is about, you know, what are the things we still find it hard to talk about as LGBT people and people have all been writing in and 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 so much of it touches on things that you cover in your work because one of your books is all about basically how to be your own therapist right yeah that's a recent book yeah how to be your own therapist and um, I did that for a number of reasons but you know post post lockdown and pandemic they reckon there's about 8 million people in the UK on wait lists for treatment so if you think about that that number, that's just an astronomical number of people waiting for treatment. 
And a lot of people can't afford individual therapy. Therapy isn't cheap. So, you know, you've got a lot of people out there. And I thought, why don't I just write a book? You know, it's not a replacement for individual therapy, but why don't I write something that helps people get started? Because often this is the thing about therapy. People think it's going to be this big monumental life changing. They expect it to be a big event when actually often in therapy, it can be one or two small things that can make an enormous difference Mm. for most people. People look for the... The, the kind of the big, you know, they look for the kind of podium moments. They're looking for the kind of the starlight moments. And actually, often it's like, you know, you'll get to the crux of something with someone and you think, you know, you realize that this one change in your life could make an enormous difference to the mm. entirety of your world. So it kind of inspired me to do the book. I'm really glad I did it. There was a real kind of battleground. Do I, do I not do it? And I did do it. And of course, one of the things I do talk very openly from in all three books, actually, I talk very openly about my own story, my own sexuality, my own shame, really, and anxiety and all the stuff that I've had to battle through. Because I think, you look, if you've been given the privilege to use these platforms, then I think you have to be brave enough to give some of your own stuff. You've got to be. Because otherwise, you then just become some other guru pontificating or lecturing to people about. And look, you put Instagram on, you know, half of the world are telling us how to live at the moment. And I think if you're going to use not only your professional stuff, but you've got to be able to use your personal story to say, okay, look, this is what helped me. This is what worked for me. This is what I've learned about getting the best from life. Yeah. And you, you have a wonderful phrase about um, shame withers in the light or something. Yeah. I mean, when you bring shame into the light, can't, you know, shame often flourishes in the dark, you know? So for most people, it's about keeping stuff under wraps or keeping it secret or, pushing it away of course shame will flourish in in that environment whereas actually the moment you bring shame out into the light so basically when you expose or you talk about something then it can't survive Mm. and really struggles to survive in that and very often that that's the truth for most people you know once you bring shame to life and you bring it out there then it's hard for it to survive And, and look at my experience i've been around physical and mental health now about 25 plus years and I do a lot of work with LGBT plus communities, have done all over my career, really. And without doubt, I have never, and this is like across the board, and I say this confidently, I have never, ever worked with an LGBT client that hasn't had issues with shame, ever, across right. the board. And I think that that's really, really important because often I'll meet people and they'll have had other therapies or other treatments and stuff. And if they're working with a the therapist, and this is no fault of the therapist because, you know, you know, it, our world's quite a unique world in a way, isn't it? I mean, mm. we can have an unspoken language. We get each other. I'll give you an example. Mm. Actually, I was thinking about this earlier and it made me laugh. I was supervising a therapist way years ago in my NHS career. And she had a gay client, a bloke, and she was struggling with, with some of the issues that he had. And she brought him to supervision, to me, to talk about the mm-hmm. case and what to do. And she said, I'm really struggling. She said, this guy keeps telling me that he's... He's got, he's feeling a lot of guilt. He's feeling a lot of shame. And he said, he does this thing every weekend where he's going cottaging. And I don't, I don't understand why he's feeling so guilty about it. And I, I was a bit, I was really surprised by the question. And I, cause she was very liberal, very open about it. She was quite a young, fairly inexperienced mm-hmm. therapist. And the, I don't know why I asked the question, but before I went any further and I said, um, what, what do you understand by cottaging? And she just went quiet and she said, um, well, I think him and his boyfriend go to different cottages every weekend. They travel and they do this cottage and thing and they, they swap cottages and they go and stay. 
No, she did not. You didn't know. She hadn't, but then I think, well, how would she know? Because it's that language isn't part of her world. So she was struggling to work out why this guy was struggling with cottage in which she thought was like Airbnb swapping every weekend. <laughs> she, she couldn't work out why he was feeling guilty about it. Whereas this guy was wow. coming and using this language and saying, like, I go away with my partner, but I'm cottaging and I feel bad about it. And she was going along with it in this assumption. And it's always made me think about, you know, I had a, I remember having an argument years ago with a colleague of mine because I will always disclose about my sexuality, always. Mm. Whether it's with a gay client or with a straight client, it doesn't matter. At some point, I'll always, I will always. And some of the rules of therapy will say you don't self-disclose. Mm. But then there's been some research done showing that with LGBT plus clients, when you disclose, you're likely to get a much better relationship because of immediate uh, yeah. trust. So I kind of think you have to, you know, I never work of assumptions anyway. I never work on a, a basis that someone is or declared sexuality publicly because you just then they come into therapy, you get another entire story. So I'll, I'll always give self-disclosure so that they're comfortable enough to, to talk about whatever they want to talk about. But that gets met with a bit of resistance. And I think if I don't disclose who I am, then I'm part of that shame narrative where I'm keeping it a secret. Yeah. Cottaging... Let's just clarify what cottaging is. <laughs> Let's go back to cottaging. <laughs> well, no, because actually, like, it's it's sort of on the theme. It's like people are like, who the fuck teaches you what cottaging is? How is anyone supposed to know? It's just through your mates, right? But cottaging is when you, like, have sex with people in public toilets. Is that right? Apparently. I'm going to be very clear. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the cottaging expert, but, yeah, I think it's people, guys go to... It is that. Yeah, and that's fine. And this particular guy was doing this and feeling bad about it and trying to make sense of it with his therapist. Mm. who didn't know how to make sense of it because she didn't know what it was. And I think mm. this is often the thing is, you know, and I think this is a, the, the key point that when you're doing this work, when you're doing this kind of internal work on yourself, we do come from a very unique background in the sense that most of us have been rejected. Most of us have been told we're not good enough. Amen, sister. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> most of us, I mean, even this concept, I know it's been talked about a lot, even this concept of having to come out, mm. I mean, why, you know, what, why should we have to come out? No, no one else think, you know, a straight person will not think about having to come out. It's not, not even on the agenda, but we have to think about coming out. And, and I think for me, coming out is, uh, it's a question really. It's asking people if they will accept you. Mm. And I think yeah. that, that, that's a really tough thing because what you are saying to people, will you accept me? So we, we use the language, I'm coming out, and people celebrate that. And, of course, at some level it is to be celebrated, but another level I'd say, but you're also asking people, are they okay with you? And I think the fact that we have to do that a lot of the time is quite, is quite revealing. I'll tell you something. This is um, a really interesting thing. I got asked to do it. I do a lot of speaking gigs, and I got invited to do a gig. When I was on the briefing call, they were telling me how many people are going to be there and blah, blah, blah what I'm going to be talking about. And then the, the lady on the on the call said to me, it's about 500 guys, it's going to be mostly men in the room. And she said, I want to be very, very clear with you. They're a group of men of a very particular type. And then she started to describe the audience and what the audience was going to be. And it's going to be a very strong, alpha male, heteronormative audience. And I immediately, I was really astounded, actually, because I come off the call and I could feel a knot in my stomach. Wow. Like a pro- proper knot to my stomach. And I do these gigs all the time. So it's like I'm used to speaking. And, and I love that. I love that part of the job. I really enjoy what you can do in those gigs. But immediately I thought, why am I feeling anxious about doing this gig? And sometimes I'll randomly talk about it. I'll be talking about loads of stuff. But I'll often mention coming out and shame and 
my own sexuality as part of my own story. And the struggle for me was I'm going to have to come out. Yeah, interesting. In that talk to 500 blokes who I know mm. may not be okay with this, or there may be some degree of risk. So it's it's fascinating. You know, I'm a middle-aged guy and I do what I do and I've got a life, I've got a relationship of years. But it's it's fascinating is that you have to keep coming out over and over and over again. Coming out over and over again, yes. But also that, you know, you are a therapist and it's still tricky for you. I think a lot got better for me when I understood that, like, it's not about making it go away. It's just learning how to do it better. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that applies to anxiety. It applies to shame. It's just recognizing it. And actually, I think that the version I can relate to on that, well, I can relate to everything you've said there. But also, I think what's interesting is, like, I question whether... As a gay man, I think you're closest to the patriarchy and heteronormativity than many of, you know, our other compadres in the LGBTQ plus spectrum. And through that closeness, I think we secretly quite like that. Not secretly, but, you know, I think there's a lot in our identity about that, that we have passing privilege a lot of the time. Um, And... And I'm not saying that's an active thing. I just think it's sort of baked into us in some way. So I think that sometimes your fear is not actually about whether those men care that you're gay or not. For me, it's actually that you are admitting to be a, being a lesser man in front of men. Yep. That's the thing that I think, because I actually don't think most of those men give a fuck if you're gay. I actually yeah. don't think they do. Yeah. I don't think yeah. they care about you because you're just a person on a stage and I'm I'm not talking about you specifically yeah 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 <laughs> but you know what I mean and it, it's like mm. and I think that's the that's the specific thing that I think it's about it's about gender actually as yeah. well and if you think about it I mean I mean you said something fascinating there about being a being a lesser man I think that's such a bit a big thing I mean if you look at I made a man the other night I had dinner with him in London and he's he's kind of trying to date and he'd love to meet someone and he's really struggling to meet someone and he said like he'd go on Straight, to okay and, sorry He's a gay guy, yeah, and he's oh, a gay man, right? Yeah, and he's he's desperate. To, he really wants he wants a relationship. He's at that point now. He's ready to settle down, and he's doing all the scruff and grinder and all the different apps and stuff. And he he was saying like, something fascinating about you know every profile is seeking straight acting. You know, he said he's noticed really? that, but, you know, seeking straight acting. What 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 does that mean? And I and it, I I was talking to him about it. I said, isn't it? It's a fascinating thing, that isn't it? That that sometimes is seen as a bit of an accolade of somebody straight acting. Then that's like a bonus point. But I just mm. kind of think, you yeah, why would you act straight? Because you're 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 not straight. And if you're not straight, why would you act something that you're not? Because that is going to create that whole internal conflict of being something you're not. But actually, you know, hands up here, Christ, I did that. You know, before I come out, or I even considered coming out. I used to do everything in my power to kind of try and tick that being seen as straight box. Yeah, me too. Jesus. I mean, I was terrible at it, but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel miserably, but we try. I was, yeah, but I also think the things, two things that have really helped me on, on that topic, and I'm aware we need to get to the bit where I start talking about what listeners care about, not me. But it's, um, <laughs> I was arguing with a trans friend of mine about this. And I was arguing with someone else about this. I know I wasn't arguing. It was Ryan O'Connell who came on the podcast. And said yeah, this. Ryan's point is straight people are, are pretending to be straight. You know, like this whole way of acting is as much a shackle for them as 
non-straight people. Yeah, you know, the point. whole thing is a construct. Yeah. And yeah. that actually really helps me go, I'm not buying into that because yeah. constructs are bullshit. Yeah. 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 But um, my friend who is a trans woman was saying that's utter bullshit. Most people just find it easy to be their gender and that's that you know whereas we all live in this kind of hinterland of what well, i live in this hinterland of being one fascinated by it two not believing in any of it etc 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 yeah 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 it's a great conversation and it's, it's an important conversation because look i see people right across the spectrum you know not only of life but right across the spectrum of sexuality or gender identities whatever the, the you know the the concept may be. And I think what what I've worked out is that, you know, and there's all of this debate going on at the minute, particularly, you know, you look at how trans people have been treated. I mean, that's just an absolute travesty. But actually, even when I look at how trans people have been treated by other aspects of the LGBT community, that makes me really uncomfortable as well, because I just think we all understand rejection and alienation and we we know what that feels like. And I, and I never really get why we don't ally together more. I really don't get that. And all of these divisions of little like homophobia within the gay community itself and internalized yeah. homophobia with gay men. And, you know, I could go on forever and ever about it. But he, here's the thing, really, you know, wherever you are in the sexuality spectrum, however you identify, when I'm with somebody in a room therapeutically, of course, that's always part of the story. But regardless of identification or where you see yourself, it's the same stuff. It's about the emotional stuff. It's the way mm. you think. It's the way you see life. It's how you've yes. experienced world, how you deal with shame. So actually, ultimately, regardless of the identity, what we are dealing with is humanity. And I think that's what we have to get better with, it, regardless of where you see yourself or how you identify. Because for me, actually, normally two, three sessions in, I sort of forget whether someone's gay or straight. It, it, it actually doesn't become part of the agenda. Because actually what you're, what you're dealing with is their humanity and their struggle. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. think that that is the truth of it all, really. Actually, we're, we're all just trying to, no matter who we are, we're all just trying to make sense and we're all trying to work our way through. We're trying to be as happy as we can be. But actually, no matter who we are, we all carry this stuff around. We've all got stories. We've all got insecurities. We've all got anxiety or dips in our mood that occur from time to time. And very often we don't know what to do with that or we don't know what it means. When actually mm. I think all of the time, all of the difficult stuff, and this is what I talk about in the how to be your own therapist, all of the difficult stuff that comes up from time to time, the anxiety, the anxiety is trying to communicate with you. It's trying mm-hmm. to get you back to your point of equilibrium. The dip in your mood or the depression, I don't like pathologies and I don't like labels that much, but whatever it is you're dealing with, it's always about listening to, okay, what's that trying to communicate to you? Always, always there'll be a message about reevaluating your life in some way, about making changes, about altering perspective. So we, we see the darker stuff as difficult stuff and we run from it and we think it's wrong and it's bad and it shouldn't be happening. But what I've learned is that there is no perfect state. Every time I think I've got my act together and I think, oh God, I'm, and I have to watch this battleground in my own mind because I'm doing the books and I'm out doing talks and I do a lot of press and media stuff. I have to watch my own shame narrative that will come out that will say to me, you've got to be perfect. You've got to be completely together because you're the person talking about all this stuff. And I end up having to often say, fuck you, because I can't be that because that's a shame narrative. I have to show up as a human being who from time to time will have wobbles and struggle or have difficulties. Mm. But actually, I'm prepared to listen to him to say, okay, what's that? What's that trying to? I mean, every, every event I do, 
I don't think I have ever had an event in my life where my shame won't jump out literally just as about, you know, just as I'm about to go out on a stage or do an interview, my shame will always kind of almost creep out the back door and kind of think, should you be doing this? You know, you're just this working class gay boy from Belfast. Who are you to be doing this stuff? Now, the thing is, I'm so familiar with the narrative. I'm so familiar with that voice that I just know I see it for what it is. It's just my shame popping in for a for a visit for, for um, a quick hello just for a to quick, kick off for, your morning nicely for, for a quick for a quick hello it actually i i did i did a ted talk about a year and a half ago and the day yeah, i did the ted so talk that my shame decided to fucking come out it had a field day <laughs> and of all the day you know you kind of think i really want to be on it today and i really want to i want to i want this to go well and just prior to going out i could feel it beginning to stare up and i could feel that not even imposter syndrome, I could just feel this, how did I end up doing this? And mm. I could feel part of me questioning and wondering, and there were loads of other people there who I was thinking, oh my God, all these people are here, and I know who he is, and I've seen him in telly, all of that bullshit that goes on. And I was aware of it, and I kind of thought, I have two things I can do here. I can I can engage with this, and, you know, or, or get involved in it, and I know where that leads. It just means that I won't do as good a job, and I won't feel good. So I instantaneously made a decision. I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'll actually bring the shame. I'll bring it onto stage with me. I'll just bring it with me. And I did. And I talked about it. And I just mentioned, I said, oh, you know, some of the time we're not expecting these moments to happen. And, you know, immediately it just, not only do you know that most people in the audience are identifying at some level with what you're saying, it Mm -hmm. just immediately quietened it. Great. That's so good. Nothing, you know, not nothing to be seen here. There's no more, you know, I've, I've heard it a million times. So I think what I, very long way of saying this here is that you just learn to work with all of these things and you don't see them as bad or wrong or flawed or broken. Mm. You just see them as part of your story. And, and you use them to the best of your ability to think, okay, how does that shape me as a human being? How can that help me do what I do? How can that help you do what you do in your work? And I think if we work with it like that, then, and you get something quite powerful can happen. Yeah, absolutely. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Let's dive into messages from listeners because with Mental Health Awareness Week coming up, we asked you all some questions about mental health. So are there still taboos with mental health? 100% of you said yes. 
Not a single person clicked the word no. Uh, and is there a particular person you'd like to talk to about your own mental health? 73% of you said yes, 20%, 27% of you said no. And then we asked our audiences for specific topics. Big one that came up was shame that we have covered. Difficulty establishing healthy, intimate relationships. I mean, these are all an episode in, in and of themselves. I mean, yes. Finding it difficult to open up to family members about mental health. How to navigate talking about your mental health at work. Interesting. How to feel comfortable talking about your sexuality, e.g. struggling when referring to my boyfriend as my boyfriend, especially in a work context. Catholic guilt when it comes to sex. Finding it difficult to articulate feelings in a relationship or friendship. So lots of big topics there. I'm going to go first to an email from Jason about finding it difficult to open up to family members. Dear Chris and Homo sapiens, and Owen, I'm writing to you in regard to your Instagram survey, asking the community what we find difficult to talk about. I find a lot of parts of my life difficult to talk about with my family. I'm thankful to say I am an out and queer male who has been embraced and accepted by family. But while this is the case, I've always noticed an invisible barrier between myself and my relatives. For me, when I do open up to family and loved ones who are cisgender or heterosexual, I notice a disconnect in understanding the queer experience, especially what it's like to grow up queer and how uniquely we are shaped by our adversities experienced at an early age. I have observed that growing up as a queer teenager, I was told in quiet or blatant ways that I was intrinsically bad, unliked and unusual because I was gay. This has shaped my self-esteem in adult years and given me a wariness of connecting with others. When sharing this with loved ones, it seems to either be a light bulb moment or something unusual and better to move past swiftly. I give credit and understanding to any cisgender heterosexual person who keeps an open ear for their LGBTQIA plus loved ones and know it's okay to not completely understand that's the nub of the question thank you for keeping an open space for us all this podcast is very close to a soft woolly blanket and earl grey tea when i feel less fabulous sending love from south australia jason we aim to be the two-ply cashmere that you can swaddle (laughs) yourself in (laughs) um owen tell me what you think about that because i've got thoughts but you're the professional (laughs) yeah i mean it it, it, look it's an it's an interesting one because it's sort of what we talked about earlier isn't it really it's about all of this kind of shaming stuff and particularly look with with guilt and churches and stuff it's always about being wrong or Mm. you know not fitting in it's actually all similar in family structures it's often about you know being seen as wrong or fitting in or what will the neighbors think or Mm. what does this look like so actually when you look at the underlying narratives they don't really change that much it's just about this is not the norm Whatever, mm. however enormous seem. And often with families, that creates a whole load of, you know, well, what is this all about? It's never happened before. Are we meant to explain this to people? You know, all, all of the things that go on around shaming people into telling them that they, you know, part of them is intrinsically wrong. And I guess really someone said to me years ago when I was coming out and it was the, the most solid piece of advice I ever got. And I actually still remember it because, you know, Irish, Catholic, and gay. I'm like, that's like a PhD in shame in itself. <laughs> yes. You know, it's like, you can't really get any more experience than that. And I sort of knew when I was coming out in my early 20s, I'd been in a monastery for three years. So I should just qualify that beforehand, which is another story. Whoa. Okay. But, so, so the whole coming out was going to be a big thing. But I remember someone saying to me, look, you got to remember that it's taken you a long time to come to terms with this. So sometimes when we are trying to explain to others or we're trying to reveal to others who we are, they may not be instantaneously 
able to understand it. Now, that doesn't make it right, but it's also that awareness. It can take us a long time to process it. So it's always about that understanding that the other person may not be able to understand. And I think that's fair when it comes to your family, because particularly if we're coming out and we're the first person to come out or they haven't really dealt with gay people before. My mum, when she was alive, thought that gay people lived in America. You know, she told me the day after I came out that right. she thought all gays lived in New York. Well, she was in for a wow. shock. So, <laughs> so it's all it's all of these things, and I think you know it's the understanding that the people who are maybe been prejudiced against us are not accepting, are not as compassionate or loving as they could be. Very often, that's coming from a place of fear on mm-hmm. that part. And I think when you're dealing with families, or you're dealing with rejection, or you're that sense of feeling less, and it's often being mindful of the fact that whoever's making you feel that way, it's often about their own fear. Mm. And I guess, and this is a hard part. This is where it gets really tricky. The challenge I think then you have as an individual, we all have as a human being, the stuff that we're not getting from the people we need it from, you know, the compassion, the, the acceptance, the love, the non-judgment, that's the stuff then we have to learn to give to ourselves. Oh, interesting. And that's the big challenge of therapy because most people will come to therapy with the lackings, the things they didn't get, the things that didn't happen, the things that went wrong. And more than often, you can't repair it. You know, you can't repair it. You can't make it good. It's happened. It's been, it's done, it's gone. And often the people who aren't treating the well, they're not going to change very often. But the challenge becomes actually what you're looking for. Are you giving that to yourself? And most of the time people will say, actually, no, I'm not. Yeah, it's fascinating because what, what I was thinking jason who's written this in is that owen's advice is way better but i do think i wonder if there's something (laughs) i I wonder if there's something in here about how you know you're not going to get that from people and we have in order to find inner peace we have to get better at being okay with being misunderstood and being like well maybe you're not going to get me but it makes me happy and I'm, maybe I'm not going to get that sympathy from you. But that's okay, because the thing that should trump all of that is that I am happy being me. Um, does that make sense? It does make sense. But I, I don't think we should ever... I mean, it depends how you... Because often being misunderstood then often equates to being mistreated. Right, yeah. So what, you know, there's, al- there's always a, an attitude, but then there's always a behaviour that comes with it. And I oh, think you're... If you're dealing with people in your life who are not respecting you, they're not treating you well, the behaviors will follow. And sometimes they'll be obvious. Sometimes they'll be subtle, but they're there. And I think I would disagree with you because I think the minute we do that, then what we do is we compromise and we start to apologize for who we are. Don't apologize and fuck them is what I meant. But I'm pleased as a professional here, Jason, because I actually got you a good, (laughs) useful, nutritious answer rather than... No, um, your your point is a really valid one because you're coming back to find, you know, as long as you're okay with yourself, maybe it's okay, you know, let, you know, let them do what they want to do as long. And I think there is real truth in that. But I think if you're dealing with people in your life and not being understood by them, then comes to other things like rejection or shaming or odd behaviors or alienation or exclusion, all of the things that you and I both know are very real in this world. And most of the people listening to this podcast will know exactly what we're talking about here. What I do think is there's real power sometimes in thinking, okay, not only will what you're saying is really true to be held, you know, I will, I'm okay with who I am and I'm happy with that. But actually the other strand to that becomes I'm also very, very aware that I'll not compromise my integrity 
but I, I will give people time and I will understand that it may be difficult for them to make sense of who I am in my world, but if it's not their world, then I'll respect that. But actually, if it gets to a point where I'm disrespected or I'm not valued or I'm treated in less than, then that's not acceptable. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And that becomes something different because then you, you kind of get a par with that, not in an egotistical way, but you kind of, you then do get comfortable where you think actually, you know, I don't, I'm not seeking your validation. I'm not seeking your approval. I'm not asking you to tell me because that's the bottomless pit for all of us. The minute you start, regardless of what area it is in your life, the minute you start seeking that external validatory, please tell me I'm okay. Please give me the right signals. We, we, we then get it and we feel good shorter term. And then we start looking more and we start looking more. And then the whole of life becomes a validation exercise. Whereas I think. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about Instagram, right? Um, should we yeah. talk about sex? <laughs> we can talk about sex, yeah. Hi, everyone. That is the end of a very enlightening part one. Um, how's your nap going, Kate? Oh, fab. Good. You didn't notice, did you, while I was driving? <laughs> this is actually a car, by the way, that does a weird beep thing when you change lanes, right? Or you're going to change lanes. Yeah, it tells you if you're drifting outside of your lane which I find very rude and judgmental, to be honest. Yeah. Also metaphorically <laughs> quite... If it could keep me in the right lane of life, I'd be more open to the whole scenario. Oh, a beeping you know? noise isn't going to do that, love. Now, um, that's the end of part two. Uh, no, that's the end of part one. Part two is on the feed. Go and have a look at it. Or listen. That'd probably be better. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.